You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Hi, this is Justin Hibbard, pastor of New Hope Chapel. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. I pray that God uses this message to touch your heart. Uh, good to see you guys. Good to be here. This week was a, a really crazy week. Um, we drove down, uh, last Sunday we drove down from Lancaster here on Sunday morning. And Sunday afternoon I caught a flight to Indiana Flew to Indianapolis, drove to Fort Wayne, which was a couple hours. Never been to Fort Wayne before. It all looks the same. It's just flat. And no one here is from Indiana, right? Oh, just kidding. <laughs> Man, can't win. <laughs> That's right. Drove a couple hours to Fort Wayne. Uh, had, a meeting, had a couple meetings over there on Monday. And then drove to South Bend, which was cool. Never been to South Bend either. And that was on Tuesday. Had some meetings. Then flew to Salt Lake City. And so I was flying, I had to fly to Chicago and then flew from Chicago to Salt Lake City. And as I left uh, Pennsylvania on Sunday, the weather said it was going to be like 55 degrees, which in Salt Lake City, it's, it's like the elevation's about a mile high. So it's sunnier, it's always sunny, so it feels like it's 70. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'll pack a sweatshirt, whatever. And I get on the plane in Chicago, and there is an African family. In fact, they had a whole like entourage waiting for them at the Salt Lake City Airport with signs and everything. Welcome to the United States, all this stuff. Well, they're sitting there and they're wearing like these fur coats and these parkas. And I'm like, well, you know, they're from Africa. It's a little, a little warmer over there. And uh, I, I was just like, but they're, you know, they're going to find it's going to be pretty pleasant. So we sit down on the plane and the pilot gets on the, on the plane. He goes, or on the, on the walkie-talkie and he's like, uh, so the weather in Salt Lake City right now is 34 and snowing. <laughs> and I'm like, I want one of their coats. <laughs> Man, it was, so we get off the plane, and it, flying in was crazy, because I guess was, there was this huge storm, they had canceled flights that day, so we come to Salt Lake City, and it was like a rodeo. I mean, this guy, this, the plane's just jostling out of control, and anyways, we land, it's all safe, and, um, and sure enough, it snowed all night, all day on Wednesday, and we had these, these meetings at the office on Wednesday, and, and, and the, the director comes up and he's like, you know, I love you because I'm not skiing today, you know. And they had 23 inches of snow by Wednesday morning in one of the nearby ski resorts. So unfortunately, I didn't bring my skis, and I only brought a sweatshirt. <laughs> but we survived, and back home now. So... Um, today we're going to talk about a little bit about missions, a little bit about, um, in continuing this, this series on Philippians, living in light of heaven. If you have your Bibles, I'm beginning in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I think the neat thing, though, as you're turning there, um, I, I, I do enjoy traveling. I, and I think the thing I enjoy traveling is seeing all these different cultures, like Indiana, and, um, and, and getting to talk to the people that are there. And I slept really well, though, and I think it might be Indiana's elevation. I don't know what it is, but I slept really well while I was over there. And um, I got to meet some, some interesting people. So I met this, one, my, this waitress one evening, and I was just asking her questions like, oh, you know, where are you from? And she's like, oh, I'm just from across the Michigan border, about 20 minutes. And so we were talking, and I was like, so well, how long have you lived here? And she's like, unfortunately, my whole life. And then she talks about, she was like, I was trying to run away to Louisiana. And I'm like, you might be the only person I've ever met that talked about running away to Louisiana. And, and just this kind of sense of hopelessness from her. And then, I, and then I got a haircut over there. And 
And, um, and I was talking to the person that cut my hair, and I was like, oh, you know, where are you from? She's from, I'm from South Bend, unfortunately, my whole life. And, and I was just like, does anyone like living here? But I, I, don't think, I don't think that's the case. I think a lot of people like living there. But just from hearing their perspective of this, um, they, they did not enjoy um, living, or they didn't enjoy where, where they were at. And today, that's what we're going to look at. That's what we're going to talk about is contentment and generosity. It seems I've lost my connection. So we'll see how this goes. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So as we've been talking about this idea from um, Paul's perspective here in Philippians and his letter here to the church at Philippi, this notion of what it means to live as a citizen, as a citizen of heaven here on earth. Living in light of heaven is what we've been saying. And today I want to talk about um, two things. I want to talk about generous giving and contented living and talk about three particular aspects, missions, ministry, and money. I know that's always a popular topic in churches, right? Missions, ministry, and money. See, now that I'm leaving, I can talk about money. <laughs> Just kidding. First, let's talk about Paul. Paul, as you know, spent his um, life as a Christian after his conversion. He traveled to different churches, and he went all sorts of different places. He went, to, uh, he went through uh, modern-day Syria. He went through modern-day Turkey, modern-day Greece even as far as Rome. And he would go and strengthen the churches that were there. He'd, he'd work with them through difficult problems. He'd mentor people like uh, individuals like Timothy. And he'd give instructions, and then he would send letters to them and strengthen and encourage them and deal with some of the conflict that was going on. And uh, that's what he did. And he would spend time there, whether it was maybe a week or two or maybe a month or maybe even multiple months ministering to these churches. Now, I do some traveling, and, and uh, I'm supposed to keep tabs of all of my expenses. So I put it on my credit card and, then the, and, and rack up the miles, and then my company reimburses me. And I see what that bill comes out to sometimes, and it's, it's pretty big. So I know that Paul wasn't staying at these 
four-star hotels by any chance, but certainly he needed money. He needed places to stay. He needed some way to be supportive so that he could do this ministry in all the churches. We know that he was a tent maker, and some of his money could have come from that. But the rest of his money came from people who were generously giving and donating to him. He talks about this in a number of, uh, of, of instances. In the church, uh, to the church at Corinth, in 2 Corinthians 16, he says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their ex- extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also a completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have uh, kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So Paul relied on these churches to provide for him and those traveling with him. I've had the opportunity, uh, you know, being, I've now been in in paid ministry on staff at at churches. Uh, This is probably, I think, my 13th or 14th year. And it never ceases to be awkward to talk about money. And even raising financial support for certain missions, things that we've had the chance to go on, I'll tell you, it, it is really awkward. And I, I'm just not really, I don't know why I'm a salesperson, I'm not really good at that money conversation. I'm getting better, I suppose. But, um, but it's always a tough conversation to have, right? And so today I want to share with you some thoughts about ministry, about money, about missions. And I think this is appropriate, especially as you, as you look into the next phase of New Hope Chapel's life. How do we go about this discussion in a church with limited resources looking for whatever it is that God has for us next? How do we manage and navigate these waters of finances? And I think the best way to tell you is to sort of tell you sort of the, the lessons that I've learned throughout my time in ministry. I want to start off by telling you about a woman that I met when I was a little kid. She was the pianist for our church growing up. I, she was, I think, our pastor's kid's music teacher. And I don't know how she started coming to our church uh, or how she became the pianist. I just can't remember a time when she wasn't. So um, she started coming, and, and even she stayed even when the pastor and his family left that church. And um, and at some point in my childhood, I remember my parents talking about a business meeting that they were at. They had, the church had business meetings all the time. And she had brought up this idea that she wanted to be paid for her service as the piano player. And, of course, the, the sort of the patriarch, the, the church curmudgeon, so to speak, he, he, he spoke up and said, well, if uh, you want to be paid, why don't I get paid for my service? Or why doesn't he get paid for his service? And, and, and sort of squashed that conversation. And this conversation went up again and again every couple of years, every periodic time. I, I don't know. And sure enough, as you know, I became the pastor of that church, and I had the privilege of dealing with that conversation. So she said to me one day, she said, you know, I think I should be paid for being the piano player. Now, this is a church of about 30 people, so it's a really small church. And, um, and we had, I was, the pastor was the only one that 
was ever on staff. And so I said to her, I said, well, let's take a step back. Why do you want to be paid? Is it a financial situation? Is it, is it that you need support, you need money? And the situation was she and her husband were much older, kind of like an, a very awkward couple. And uh, they were much older. He had apparently invented the Internet with Al Gore and, <laughs> and had retired. And they traveled the country uh, you know, in a Winnebago and just kind of traveled around everywhere. And so it wasn't about finances, and she mentioned that to me. For her, she said, the reason I want to be paid is because I talk to other piano players, other pianists and organists at church, and they all get paid. And I don't think it's fair that I don't get paid. And when I talk to them, I want to be able to say I am a professional musician. In order to say I'm a professional musician, I have to be paid. Now, to make matters a little bit more complicated, when she wasn't there, we hired someone to come and play. <laughs> so, you know where this is going. It was, it was just a great conversation, so uplifting. And so I said to her, so she said, maybe I should quit my job or quit being a member of the church so that I could be paid. And my thought was, my thought was, not very good. If I have a chance to pay someone, it's not going to be you, right? So that's what I'm thinking in my mind. <laughs> I know I shouldn't have thought that, but I did. But the point is that for her, money for her equaled status. So she looked at money and she thought, if I have that money, I have some sort of status. So, and a lot of us look at money that way. If I get paid this much, that means I am this, right? Another situation I'll talk about having to do with money. Uh, after Gary left, we invited, uh, well, we, had, we wanted to do our Passover Seder. And so we invited, our, we, there was a gentleman, a, a, a Messianic Jewish man, who um, was extremely helpful and had some good conversations with us during that time. And so we wanted to invite him to lead in a Seder. Now, I don't know what it typically what it's customary to, to, to pay someone for a Seder. And I'm, I'm really bad with these conversations. And I sort of imagine it like this, like if someone were to say, and this is sort of what I do with weddings, like for, for acquaintances, they say, well, how much, do you, how much do you want to be paid for doing the wedding? And I'm just like, whatever, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, and, and so I didn't know how, I didn't know how this guy would, would, would approach that. And so I had a number in mind. You can probably, you've probably thought of a number in your head of what you would pay this guy to come and do the Seder. Maybe a couple hundred bucks, a few hundred bucks. I don't know. Is that cheap? I don't know. And, um, and we were expecting a hundred people and we wanted to, we wanted to have it be free because the year before we did in a hotel, we had to charge like $30 a person. It was just pretty expensive. So we wanted to have uh, as cheap as possible for people to come and maybe do a love offering, maybe give to him out as an honorarium. And he said, I will come and do the Seder for $10 per person and a love offering. And I thought to myself, that seems high, you know? <laughs> and for him, the way that he saw it was he saw money as this exchange of service. I do this service. And this is what the fee is. And most, most of us are very familiar with this. We do this with work. We go to work. We've negotiated with our boss. This is what we do. And you pay me this, right? So that's another way to look at money. A third way. 
uh, that I heard about uh, from a church. They were looking for a music minister. And so they, they found a guy that they really liked, and they got to the negotiation stage, and they said to him, uh, well, what would it take to bring you here to this church? And he said, I will come for no less than $90,000. See, a lot of you gasp, right? You, you have, and I, I'm just saying because you have this idea of money and value, right? We, we think this, okay, it's, it should be this. It doesn't really matter of the size of the church. It just, we just need to talk about this because there are, are, are preconceived notions about money. But for this guy, he had some reason for asking that. Maybe it was a value reason. Maybe he felt that his talent was worth that. Maybe it was a need. Maybe that's what he needed to live in this area. But this is, these are the, the, the ways that we think about money. And this is oftentimes what trips up churches. And not just what trips up churches, but what trips up other ministries as well. So a few years ago, I began to think carefully about this situation of money and how it applies to churches. And I read 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul says this, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us. Because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple? And that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in the hopes that you will do such things for me. For I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this that in preaching the gospel I may offer it free of charge, and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. So Paul talks about a few different things here, and it got me thinking about the way that we talk about money and ministry and missions. You see, if money is all about status, then what does that say about where we receive our validation? If we get our validation simply from money, that's pretty shallow. And not only that, but then someone else could give us more validation and, and tear us away from, well, where we're supposed to be serving if it's all about money. If money is all about just an exchange of service, then when I finish my exchange of service, does that mean I'm done? Do I say, okay, this is all I'm going to do because this is what we've agreed on? That didn't seem to be Paul's attitude in that, in that passage. And if money is all about value, then what does that say about those who are serving voluntarily? 
When I think about being paid, it's, I'm, I'm, like, I'm totally humbled because I look at the many people in this church that are serving and the, the amazing job that they're doing, the work that they put in, whether it's the finances or whether it's uh, uh, planning meetings, whether it's teaching uh, classes. There's just, it, it can't be about value because certainly there are so much more, there's so much more value in what is going on uh, in the church as a whole. You know, in my experience, I think one of the things that uh, I feel a little conflicted about was uh, I taught at a Christian school, and many of you taught at that same school or went to that, that, to that school and, or have family members there. And, um, and one of the things that really bothered me was that the, the school built very quickly and very big. And it got to the point where they had sort of misjudged the amount of money that was going to come in in order to pay the bills. And so instead, they would come up to the teachers and they would say, well, we're going to have to freeze your salaries. We're going to, you know, there's no cost of living raises the next year. We're going to have to have layoffs. And for, and for me, it was like, there, the, when we talked about our service, like all of us felt called to be there. When we talked about our service and our, our ministry to that school, it was always sort of thrown at us when the school couldn't come out on their end. So it was like, Oh, okay, well, we can't pay the bills, but, or we can't pay you, but remember, you're doing it for the Lord. Like this idea that ministry is free, right? And it, that always bugged me because I know that they didn't call their bank account and say, hey, uh, we can't pay our bills, right? So who got the short end of the stick? It was the teachers, the people that, and when I think of that school, I think, man, you know what makes that school is not the building, it's the teachers, the teachers are awesome. They were awesome when I was a student there. They were awesome when I was teaching there. I'd send any, I'd, they, could, they could be in a hut somewhere, and I'd send my kids to those teachers. So, I, you know, that's what really frustrated me, was that, and when it was treated that way, when it was treated that way, people didn't want to be generous, because the school was not being generous to them, right? So that's the thing about generosity. When, when we sort of are tight-fisted, Right? People don't want to be generous in serving. When, we want to be, when we're generous in giving and generous in serving, it sort of reciprocates itself. And that's what Paul talks about here. In 2 Corinthians 16, he says, They gave themselves, first of all, this is him talking about the church at Corinth. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to others. And then when he's talking about his generosity in serving, look at his attitude in 1 Corinthians 16. He says, We put up with anything. We put up with anything. We put up with poverty. We put up with being hungry. We put up with being shipwrecked. We put up with being beaten. We put up with being slandered because we wanted the gospel to advance. The idea that Paul presents here is a generosity. It is the act of freely giving of oneself, whether it's one's resources or one's gifts, talents, and time. So we see this in the letter to Philippians. In the first part, he writes, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. So he's praising this church for supporting him, for, giving him, for providing what he needed to stay um, to stay alive, to stay afloat, for the ministry to keep going. And check out his attitude about this. He says, he could have said, hey, well, keep sending that money. But he says this. He says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm sort of like the scene where, 
where you know, Moses says, okay, everyone stop giving because you've been giving too much. Or we have more than enough. I don't need to take advantage of this, of this situation. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So the act of their generosity from the Philippians of giving to Paul and his ministry and Paul reciprocating this generosity as well, of generosity of serving, of putting up with anything in order to advance the gospel. So when I think about, when I think about ministry and money, I've stopped using words like salary. I don't like that word. I, just, I think sometimes what we do is we take words that the world uses and philosophies that the world uses and sort of apply them to churches instead of saying, you know what, the church is a whole different, it's, it's a part of a different kingdom. Some of the things that work in the world just don't apply to the church. And so I began thinking of it this way, as support. As support. We give of our resources, not just money, but of ourselves entirely to others so that others may give of themselves to the ministry God God has called them. All of us reciprocate in this ministry. We all give of each other. We give of ourselves. We give to each other. We provide so that people can be supported to do what God is calling them to do. So that's 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 my philosophy of ministry and money and missions but there's a couple other verses that I want to point out here that Paul talks about, pretty famous verses, in fact. He says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Right? That's a pretty popular verse. And another one is, my God will meet all of my needs according to the riches uh, and glory of Christ Jesus. And we, it's kind of become some of those name it and claim it verses, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But we have to be careful because God doesn't want us to do some things, right? God wants us to do some things and he'll give us the strength. But there are some things that God doesn't want to do. So saying, hey, God's going to give me strength to do this thing that he doesn't want to do. Well, that doesn't really make a lot of sense, right? That sort of theologically falls flat. But Paul is talking about when God calls you to do something, he will provide. I've had the chance to learn this lesson in a lot of different ways. I, re, um, I think about... Uh, for one, the missions trip that the Rinkers and I went on in Guatemala, and and the we were this was back in two thousand nine, and there's Bud working, there's me looking like um, a government contractor just kind of standing by, like yeah, you're doing a great job there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, and and there's Bud looking at me down there on the on the bottom left, like you're doing it wrong, and even Pastor Orlando, who's blind, is like you're doing it wrong. <laughs> But, uh, you know, we were there for a variety of reasons. But one of, you know, Bud and I, we worked on building this house. And when I say house, I use that term really loosely because there is no way it would pass any code here in the United States anywhere, not even like the western hills of Kentucky. I mean, it was just, it was, that was it. It was cinder block with some metal on top. But I'll tell you, like, I've never, I mean, I worked hard. Like, we worked hard. We were hammering, we put down a concrete floor by hand. They, you know, we're up on this mountain, like we're transporting these, these buckets of dirt and concrete everywhere. It was just, it was a lot of work. And I, I came home so exhausted every day. And I remember going on this mission trip. Carlene really wanted to do it. And, and I was like, how are we going to raise this much money? It's going to be a lot of money to bring, um, we had Analia and Naomi at the time, and to bring all of us here. And it's dangerous. It's Guatemala. That's a dangerous country. 
Um, what about, you know, and I had all of these different questions. And God provided, and he provided so wonder, wonderfully through this church and through others. There was a guy I went to high school with um, who I hadn't talked to since high school who gave us like 500 bucks. I mean, just so nice and amazing how God provided. And we worked and we built this thing. And I looked at it and I'm like, the door doesn't even shut all the way. Like, I mean, it's like, I mean, I, but this family here, which you see down here, they were the happiest people in the world. The mom uh, had been abused by her husband and, um, and, and so she, she needed to get away from him and, and, but she didn't have a home because that's where the financial support was. So providing this home for them was everything. They were just overjoyed. And I learned about God's provision and, and that if he calls us to do something, he is going to provide. I remember having this conversation with Bill a little while ago. We were talking about an idea, a ministry idea. And, you know, I guess, sometimes I just get worried about money and how is it all going to work out. And Bill's like, dude, we serve a God who has cattle in a thousand hills. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know, <laughs> like this, uh, you know, this moment where you're like, yeah, that's right. Uh, if God wants it to happen, why can it not happen, right? Why can it not happen? I'll tell you one more story, and that is of this family here, this wonderful family that we support, the Schultzes, and who minister in Turkey. And Carlene and I got to visit them a couple of years ago. Now, they've been there for about 20 years now. Uh, they used to be a part of New Hope Chapel for a long time. So we went there, and we went for our 10-year anniversary and also to spend time with them, and they were so grateful. They were like, you're the first pastor of a church that supports us that um, has come visit us on the field. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. I'm so glad to have this opportunity. You know, thanks for opening up your home and everything. And we got to travel with them. And, and we'd ask questions. You know, we talk about the days of New Hope Chapel, like, long time ago, 20 years ago, and filling in on all this kind of back history. And they said, you know, we are so grateful because New Hope Chapel has, is our primary supporter. Now, I don't know what you, if you know what our budget is or what you, you know about our, our missions budget. Our missions budget is about 10% of our overall budget. And about, I don't know, half of that or so goes to this family. And that's not a lot of money. And so to think like, wow, we are their primary supporters. Now, at the time, unbeknownst to me, because of a lapse in treasurers, we had not given them for about given to them for about a year. And so they're talking about, you know, we are just so thankful for all that New Hope Chapel has done for us and everything. And, and I'm like, uh, you know, I, like, I, I thought everything was great. Like, I'm like, well, you know, it's the least that we could do. And <laughs> and, and they were just so gracious. Now, now, something about their missions organization. So anyway, so they... Um, their missions organization that they're a part of said that their policy is they are not to bring up money. So if they ever need financial support, if they're ever in a place of need, they are not to bring it up with the churches. They, they, they're supposed to wait for churches to engage in that discussion. So we, we were frank with them. We said, hey, like, you, you know, please, if you ever need anything, do not hesitate to ask or anything like that. They never said a word. They just talked about how gracious they were, how God has provided for them, everything like that. Well, when, uh, when we found out what, what had happened, and it was, just, it was just a mistake, 
we said, you know, I wrote them an email. I'm so sorry. Like, we're eating at your house. We're, you know, talking about how great your financial support is from New Hope Chapel. And we hadn't paid. For, and, and so I, you know, and they were like, oh, no, you know, it's the Lord has provided. And every, you know, it never, just this attitude of graciousness and gratitude for what God had done for them. And so I learned a lot from them. I learned a lot from my experience of what it means to trust in the Lord. If he asks you to do something, he will make a way. He will provide. I posted this quote on on my Facebook page this week, but Anne Frank said, no one has ever become poor by giving. Another person said, the Dead Sea is the Dead Sea because it constantly receives but never gives, right? So I thought about all of these concepts this week, and I thought about what does it mean to be content? How is it that Paul goes through all of these circumstances? How does he go through these times of desperate need? How does he rely on, on, on these people for provision? And yet he says, I am content. I am right where God wants me to be. Contentment begins with a belief that God will not only meet, but will exceed our needs. It is when we trust in God's ability and willingness to provide we can cheerfully and generously give as participants in the generosity of God and his kingdom. I'll read that one more time. Contentment begins with a belief that God will not only meet, but will exceed our needs. It is when we trust in God's ability and willingness to provide, we can cheerfully and generously give as participants in the generosity of God and his kingdom. So instead of an attitude of, Oh, I don't, I don't think it's going to come through. I don't think we're going to be able to make it. I don't think that this is going to happen. And, and being more stubborn, both in our time, our resources, our energy, instead, having the, the opposite, God will provide. God will provide. I will give of myself fully, and God will provide. That is the difference between being a citizen of earth and being a citizen of heaven. A citizen of heaven knows that his king lives in a rich kingdom and has cattle on a thousand hills. And if God wants to do something, he will make a way. And we just generally say, here I am, Lord. Use me as you will. Let's pray. God, we are so humbled to be a part of such an amazing kingdom with an extraordinary plan. And and more than that, to be um, given an opportunity to serve in, in wild ways, whether it's here in this church, whether it's abroad, no matter where it is. Lord, thank you for the opportunities that you have given to us and those opportunities that come with a lesson of what it means to trust you. Thank you for those that have learned what it means to trust and, to sh- and have shared um, those experiences with me and with all of us. Lord God, I, I, help, I pray that you would give us um, an attitude of graciousness and generosity, an attitude that says, I will give freely of myself. Help us to have a right attitude about resources, money, time, energy. And Lord, help us to um, devote those things to you first. God, thank you for not holding back in your generosity for us. Thank you for not giving with a closed fist. But Lord, in each and every opportunity you have given, 
so much, particularly your son for our salvation. God, may we give of ourselves in a way that honors and emulates you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.